Alan, test test yours and just check the input testing, level. Testing, testing. Ray, did we lose Ray? Huh. Oh, we might have. Ray, Ray are you back? <laughs> yep. Oh, okay. Wow, holy shit. I oh, jinxed Google it. just lied to you. You shouldn't have said anything, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> I was in a recording earlier. It should, be, it should be okay. It was like, oh, you want reliable internet, huh? Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> good to see you renee allen how y'all doing good it's the beginning of the year it's been it's been a while huh i know it has been it's kind of on me as you guys know probably maybe our listeners but i've been super busy with work and a lot of some uh, some other things and lots of life changes if you haven't been listening and following us on the pod baldwin is out discovering the world with his wife he's an influencer He's an influencer. He's pursuing his <laughs> lifelong dream as an influencer. <laughs> uh, and, and Alan is uh, getting, well, you're already married, actually. So you're getting It's like formally? the party. It's like the yeah. party in a couple yeah. of weeks. Uh, Renee, what, what have you been up to? Any life updates? I've been traveling the world. I got my passport for the first time in my life last year. You become the consulate for Lao. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Don't I could get in trouble for you saying that. Um <laughs> yeah, so went to Singapore, Laos, Thailand, Japan, Cancun, Mexico, like Damn. um just came back from Hawaii have you, actually. Have you run into Baldwin? I no, see, but he's an official influencer. All I'm uh-huh. doing is just like, you know, the old school way, just like uh, go. pseudo influencer. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's right. You're just gonna have to wait for my uh, travel photos during the my you know end of year ha- you know Merry Christmas Happy New Year holiday cards. You're doing the groundwork. Baldwin is just taking nice pictures. Is that what there it is? Mm-hmm. We're totally just ousting Baldwin right now. He's not even here to defend himself. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're listening, Baldwin. We miss you. Yeah. Uh, so so for me, as you guys know, maybe again our listeners know that I moved down to LA. So I'm officially a Southern California resident now. So I've left the Bay Area and it's a little mm. sad. I'm a little homesick, to be honest, but it's good. I've, I think I'm settled in. I've un- mostly unpacked. Alan helped me move. Thank you, Alan, once again. That was a fun trip. Always. So fun. quick story. So uh, down in LA. So Valentine's Day, uh, my girlfriend and I, we went to go to a restaurant down in Melrose. It wasn't mm-hmm. super fancy, but it was, you know, I figured, you know, it's a decent enough fancy restaurant. Pizza's right? always fancy, dude. Yeah. I wanted to take <laughs> her out and we went to this nice uh, Italian restaurant and uh, it was busy, very understandably and expectedly <sighs> busy on Valentine's Day in, um, in that area. So we're waiting and I checked into the, to the host and... It was pretty packed, like the waiting area to where the restaurant was was really crowded. And I was kind of standing next to this guy. And then, you know, it was kind of cold that night, too. But then people kept coming in and out. And I was kind of like shivering. And the guy next to me was t- uh, talking. He's like, yeah, it's kind of cold, right? And I was like, yeah, it is kind of cold. And I kind of just like small talk. Hey, you know, it's like funny enough, I, I just moved down uh, here in L.A. And just expected that it was going to be warmer weather. But it's not that warmer. So I'm kind of used to it too from the Bay Area. And we just had this small chat. And do you know who I was talking to? Who? Is it somewhat famous? Is it Daniel Day Kim? Wait, Whatever. what? No, I'm just kidding. I made that up. <laughs> Anyways, you welcome to Real lie. Asian Podcast. Some fake news shit right here. <laughs> fake stream media. 
<laughs> but uh, welcome to the show, y'all. Good to see you too. So we're going to be talking about Netflix today and just the current state of Netflix. You know, I've been kind of thinking about how my streaming experience has been lately. And I've been doing a lot of research and reading about Netflix, obviously one of the most uh, powerful forces in tech today. I'm kind of jumping off of this article that I read recently that got me thinking, and I would love to kind of get your guys' thoughts on it. It was a Wired article that basically said, and this is the headline, it said that Netflix's 2023 movies illustrate a sad fact about streaming. And the synopsis of the article, if you will, is that it basically says that Netflix is no longer kind of that space where independent filmmakers have the opportunity to get their movie in front of a you know, wide audience, obviously. Obviously, and Netflix is more or less turned into this uh, hit maker, and it's going to, it, it's kind of their 2023 slate is kind of leaning towards blockbuster movies, big name actors, you know, big productions, big name directors. And I think the big uh, takeaway that I got from this article was that it said that Netflix was getting a little generic. So their, their slate for 2023 is a little generic. I want to start with just asking you guys anecdotally. How do you view the slate of streaming platforms now? Well, it was really interesting because uh, the Super Bowl ads definitely had like a flavor for trying to get more mainstream with various different types of streaming. So it's not just Netflix, right? Uh, for was example, there a Netflix ad? Well, there was actually a Tubi uh, Super Bowl commercial. Oh, uh, yeah, that got me. Mm. That caused a lot of chaos. And in <laughs> fact, there were some people who had some like domestic violence issues like their yeah like their partner was like yelling at them screaming at them like punching walls and things like that and it was like bro yeah exactly what the fuck yeah (laughs) i mean like on reddit so who knows if it's actually verifiable but they're i mean who can you trust nowadays (laughs) but there were definitely like reaction videos that people like knew were i guess for some reason they knew like it was gonna show like the commercial was gonna do that and so there's some reaction i mean i knew it was a commercial because I was standing next, I was sitting next to the remote. So I was like, okay, obviously no one's sitting <laughs> on it. But it looked real. And I was like, oh, interesting that Tubi did this. Right. But Tubi's actually been around for, for quite some time. And so the fact that they actually, you know, basically put down millions of dollars to do this 15 second ad on Super Bowl commercial means they're trying to really step up their game. And the reason is because the the slate of streaming platforms now is highly um saturated sorry is like highly saturated and because of the mm. fact that there's so many different uh, streaming platforms out there it's not just netflix you know you're you're talking about like you know shutter and AMC, amc plus and paramount plus and discovery plus Pornhub. everything plus and yeah mm. porn has been around okay. for decades okay so oh yeah <laughs> but you know i i think it's really <laughs> interesting you you really have to put your money where your mouth is and and get there to where your potential um customers are going to be so yeah i mean like what i feel like is as a person who still has like a a cable subscription you do i actually what really the reason this is the reason why (laughs) the reason why i have a cable (sighs) subscription is because i actually use that to to log in to many of these other streaming services. Oh yeah, right. Because right. So like if, if that stuff, wasn't right? exactly if that offering wasn't there, if I couldn't be able to log in with my provider, 
then I would probably then I probably would drop my provider. But mm. but that's where I'm at right now. So you, you really want to catch the CW? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you, but it's all about that. Uh, you know, uh, club one, club five thousand. You know. And- <laughs> <laughs> and those uh religious channels you know i just i that's what i need I, <laughs> yeah the gospel us. oh speaking of super bowl commercials the jesus commercials that the was jesus fun. commercial yeah. fuck man the jesus commercials <laughs> he gets us he gets us <laughs> fucking hell what was it one what was one of the commercial where it was like showing clips of like um like protests and like unrest. Yeah, that was the Jesus one. Yeah, yeah. And then at the end, I was like, what if we were trying to figure it out? Like, that's the fun thing about watching a Super Bowl commercial, trying to figure out what the brand is. And it's like, fade to black. He gets us. Jesus he gets us. Oh. And I was like, you fucking. I was like, fuck Christianity. Fuck you. <laughs> How dare you play with my emotions like that? <laughs> uh, okay. Alan, how are you? What do you, what's your view of the slate of streaming? I think Netflix, I, I do agree with the analysis, but then I, I ask the questions back to our listeners. What's wrong with Kirkland brand stuff? I love Kirkland brand stuff. You know, the premise that they have here is all wrong. They're saying because it's like Kirkland label version of movies that it's sad. I'm telling you right now, wiping your ass with Kirkland brand toilet paper is just as good, if not better, than Charmin. So I'm saying there's something wrong with this hypothesis. I don't know here. about that. Uh, <laughs> I need a yeah, I true. need a wipe test right As now. As a Kirkland brand toilet paper, uh, Alan, go to the uh, bathroom. Subscriber, I agree with Alan. <laughs> Wipe your ass with Kirkland or Charmin, and you you ask your asshole which one is better. <laughs> yeah, but then my asshole also feels the impact of my my dollars. <laughs> um i i I, so overall i think the basis of it is that i I do agree i think netflix is (coughs) sorry (laughs) netflix is that's quickly toilet paper right there (laughs) um that's the thing like (laughs) i'm like not bad (laughs) like wow that's multi-purpose you don't need to throw it away you can just eat it I hope that makes it in. (laughs) He gets us. He gets us. Jesus again. (laughs) Like the thing is that, like, yeah, I I do agree. Like Netflix is trying hard to to hit that one one movie wonder, and and they're trying to bank on like celebrity stardom in order to hit that. And, And and I think that's kind of like the. That's kind of the challenge because if I pivot that over to what HBO is doing, I, don't, I think HBO is doing a much more significant, better job at what Netflix is doing now, not just in terms of their catalog, but in how they're choosing to invest on their shows. And I think because Netflix, what it pre- previously did was that it had a large catalog and then kind of spread the money kind of thin on production or what that's what they're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not able to invest as much money into the production value of their original IP, whereas I know I'm not trying to be in favor of HBO, but like House of the Dragons is extremely good in terms of production value. And of course, The Last of Us. And, and that's a show that I absolutely love. Um, yes. Shout out to episode three. And because like I love the I love the game and I love the way that they cared about the IP is because HBO put a fuck ton of money to making sure the story was done right, done with justice, got the original creator. They done everything to make sure they elevated the content versus what Netflix is trying to do, which is just like, trying to like throw everything at the wall and see what IP sticks. There are some good stuff, but I think right now like Netflix is kind of falling behind because it's it's no longer Netflix and chill, it's HBO and Felatio. So that's kind of the vibe right now. Well, it's really interesting because Reed Hastings, who was a founder 
for Netflix Mm -hmm. recently stepped down um, earlier this year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think there is some controversy in the regards to the fact that he, he is stepping down. He was co-CEO for, for a while actually there. And I, and I think, you know, the, some of the DNA of Netflix um, is, is lost because of that. Um, Some of the things I think that made Netflix like a, a name brand besides their ship to you directly DVD service was the fact that some of the, films that were actually going straight to Netflix started getting award accolades. And I think that makes a huge difference, right? And I think back to Alan's point, you know, HBO and in in you know in conjunction with that HBO Max, which is just their streaming service, started being able to actually have award winning programs on there. And I think that is what really sets Netflix and HBO Max apart. Like Hulu's the other one and then Amazon Prime's you know, video as well, but you know, you're not lo- you're not going to find uh, award winning ones from like these other smaller niche um, streaming services, and I think that's that's the reason why like you they are still going to be a front runner. They're still going to be a name brand, mm-hmm. and Kirkland still wins awards. Yes. <laughs> By <laughs> the way, what 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 we're referencing is in this wired article uh, actually it wasn't wired but it was an, a a reporter from vulture rebecca alters called that the slate of netflix shows for 2023 is somehow more generic kirkland label versions of movies that's what we're referencing to so netflix has never won a best picture award not that you know they really need it but i do think that to position themselves as industry leaders truly in, in the hollywood uh, landscape. I think that's really what they're going for. And I do think that that's part of the strategy for 2023, why they're booking all these big name actors and kind of making these generic blockbuster hits. Uh, again, that does take away from that niche independent film spirit. Now you can find those films on the platforms, but that's not what they're pushing. Like when you open up the homepage, you see that the top 10 trending Movies are often ones that they're heavily marketing, like the My Place or Your Place with Ashton Kutcher and Reese Witherspoon. And, you know, we started watching a little bit of that. It's it's all right. Or or sometimes they do they do they push the films that are heavily marketed, but also the ones that like based off of your watching history. So on mine is a bunch of Korean dramas right now because we started watching Physical 100 again. Pretty interesting. So um, I do think that that plays into it a little bit now. I read that when Coda won Best Picture, which was an Apple TV Plus movie, was an Apple movie, that kind of peeved them a little bit because Apple came later in the game and they came in, walk in like, hey, you know what? Watch this. We'll we'll win Best Picture. Netflix, that's nice. You haven't done anything yet. So I do think this strategy shift plays into that a little bit. I also say that anecdotally, none of the films that I see on Netflix just really resonate with me. And I just doesn't have that kind of draw that it used to. Mm-hmm. I looked at the, the sizzle, sizzle reel that they put out. And the only thing that I'm like kind of excited for is because I watched the first one. It was the murder mystery two one. And I thought that was funny. Everything else was, uh, was interesting. Um, something to point out on that trailer is that there was no Asian led movies that they marketed. I'm sure there will be some that's going to come out in 2023, but not heavily pushed. And as you said, to your point, Renee, in a market, in an industry that's so saturated, the only way that you're going to stand out is by marketing, investing heavy, heavy marketing Mm -hmm. dollars into it. 
because that's the only reason why people are going to know what to watch and why to watch. Right. Mm-hmm. Netflix tends to be a, a, like siloed in its own marketing, like because of the fact that they did own a lot of the largest market share for the longest time. They right. kind of just like marketed within their within their platform itself, and now that they have to do a lot more heavily heavily marketing on like more traditional means through ads, through billboards, through yeah. magazines, and things like that. You know, like I definitely feel like for me personally, I've actually fell off of Netflix. A little bit of it was because yeah, me too. Honestly, I had a lot of friends who actually worked there and were affected by their layoffs and and things like mm. that, and then they're also having some more um strict return to office things and uh you know uh guidelines and so i think that's also like why a lot of you know that's talking a little bit more on the backseat aspect of like netflix itself like the operations and because the thing is like as far as operations go netflix still invests heavily in finding different you know uh, different offerings to be able to uh bring to their platform right so they're mm-hmm. still putting down millions and millions of dollars and in investing in these you know bigger names of actors and studios and things like that so what as a distribution arm you know they are still putting out millions of dollars but they're but for the longest time hbo max was also right at their heel and taking some of the biggest ones uh, mm-hmm. titles away mm-hmm. from them right and so for an example the one um uh, the one series that I went back to Netflix for was called The Sandman. And it was between um mm. it was between HBO Max and Netflix. And Netflix just went ahead and put down a little bit more. Right. Mm-hmm. And it really paid off for them. So, you know, I, I think that's one of the things that you're gonna see now though, is that there was this huge influx of revenue for a lot of companies at the beginning of the pandemic. But now that we're you know three years out from that Companies are reporting record losses, but they're expecting mm-hmm. to be able to actually start seeing revenue again and and getting into the black and green at the be- end of this year or the beginning of next year. So I think those are some of the things to also take into account as like, you know, economy wise, what's going on and why some of these offerings are being canceled after the first season, like Cowboy Bebop, which I know is Alan's favorite. I have a lot of thoughts about, yeah. Still so yeah, about I mean, it. like that's just like anecdotally what you're seeing behind the scenes and why some of these issues are like happening on the front from the consumer perspective. As a as an avid watcher of Netflix shows, it's it, it makes me realize that it's it's hard. Think about it from like a consumer basis and then a company basis, right? So like as a consumer, I want to invest time in, in new IP. I want to invest time in watching a new show, and I'll use Cowboy Bebop as a reference, right? So obviously, I love the anime. That's I grew up with it alongside Dragon Ball Z, of course. And I was really happy to see the live action being adopted. And obviously, they broke it up so that they can draw it out as much as they can. But then, of course, with disappointing viewership, because, you know, there are a bunch of like weebs out there who can't take the fact that an Asian man is playing Spike, even though Spike is based off of a Japanese man, so on and so forth. Can't speak on that any further than these weebs who want white characters or everything. Um, it's just, it's just like Netflix does this thing where they, they won't invest on shows because the numbers don't support them. And then so they cancel their shows immediately, but then it creates like a catch 22 because viewers won't invest time to watch the shows if they know down the line it's going to get canceled anyway. So it's like, it's like, this is Cowboy Bebop is just a classic example of Netflix not giving a, a shit about taking risks anymore because they're like, right. Oh, like 
if it works really well in the first try, then let's invest in that. If it doesn't work well in the first try, then like we're just going to abandon it. They're going to cut their losses. And I think this, I think this model is supported with how successful Stranger Things was because it was a hit instantly. Bridgerton was a hit instantly, and some of these shows are like hits instantly. And it, it was very similar to how uh, venture capital firms work. If you think about it from a business perspective, venture capital firms, they have billions of dollars getting ready to invest in hundreds of startups. And so they bank on one or two of their of their 100 companies to, to make it big. And so they count for one or 2% to really make it big. And that will cover the losses of all the other 98 failures, essentially. And so it's very similar approach to what uh, Netflix does. They bank on one or two shows that they create that really makes it and they don't give a fuck about the other 98. And so like, because of that, that's what that's what drives their success. But as we we're coming out of the pandemic, a lot of people are like one, like there's more competitors in the market. Uh, they're I don't want to be at home all the time watching something. That's why Peloton fucking sucks now. And this is all these different external macroeconomic factors that's causing Netflix to really lose its allure. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, like the, the, the driving force behind it is that they're unwilling to invest in the IP or the capital in order to like really flesh out certain stories. So that's kind of where I stand. Mm-hmm. I think that's where my issue kind of la- my, where my issue kind of lies is that like you do sense that they are becoming the Hollywood, if you will, because if you think about mm-hmm. Netflix's roots, they were meant to be the anti-Hollywood. I mean, granted, of course, you always want to aspire to kind of be within the cool kids table and Hollywood kind of being that. But now that they are, I feel like they're just probably financially liable and held to a bunch of investors and their profits and they're a public company now and all this stuff. And so they have to be very conservative with their strategies. They can't just be doling out money on IP Mm -hmm. all the time, knowing that it may or may not be a hit. And also to the thing is like, yes, cowboy, this is the crux of the issue. No one knows whether something is a hit or not. Like all hits are still evaluated by critics in the in the public domain or in the entertainment mm-hmm. domain space netflix does not release its viewership numbers so we cannot mm-hmm. definitively say like oh uh cowboy bebop was a flop i mean you could say that it got millions of viewers but maybe it wasn't the viewership that they an- had anticipated um or the demographic they anticipated or just I mean, again, financial reasons, they just were like, ah, okay, it was decent, mm-hmm. but we don't want to invest more show, uh, more money into this show because maybe it wasn't, it was anticipating to be higher number. Right. And Netflix operates on basically the amount of viewership that happens at the very beginning of a release, how quickly people finish mm-hmm. the entire series, right? Because they don't do episodic where they just release one right. every other, every week or something, right? They're looking they to some see shows. how many people some start watching how many people finish watching, how quickly they finish watching, and how many times do they actually continue watching again, right? So viewership is measured a little differently because it's it's viewership by engagement as well, right? Mm-hmm. So they don't care how many people are talking about it on Twitter or, or right. you know, social media. They care about the numbers when it comes to things like that, right? And so that's not something measured I think that they do care a little bit about how people are talking about it. That definitely plays into viewership. Right. I mean, it can, it can be, you know, because basically what you're asking for is grassroots of people to go ahead and like, mm-hmm. Hey, help pump up these numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, uh, this is, this is, this is perfect. This is a great segue to what, you know, why I think Netflix is kind of losing its allure. So if you think about when Netflix first started, right, you could, you think about like 1997 when it first came out, DVD, so on and so forth. And then it went to streaming, right? 
what made Netflix kind of the cultural phenomenon was that uh, was the idea of binging. Mm-hmm. But they had they had shows that already were already developed. Friends in the original beginning. They had Seinfeld. They had all these things that already had all its catalog ready to go and then you could binge on it. But the problem with new IP, and think about like Stranger Things, for example, and I'll, I'll allude back to what Renee was talking about in terms of like episodic reviews or releases. And I know Netflix does some of that, but they don't do it that often. If you think about how Netflix released the latest season of Stranger Things, I think it was four or five, whatever, they released it in two parts. Yeah. And so Bastards. the first part is just, yeah, it was just like, it was kind of, there was a lot, you just kind of have to run through it as much as you can. And, and the problem with losing its cultural uh, inertia is that like, if you release it all at once, you don't give audiences a chance to kind of catch yeah. up and then catch yeah. up with the zeitgeist or whatever. If you think about it, if Netflix had been the one to release The Last of Us and they just released all of it, there's no way that episode three, which I think is a masterpiece, has the same amount of impact as it does being released on a, on a weekly basis because the, the ability for you to release your shows on an episodic basis and allow the cultural zeitgeist to catch up, breathe, and then digest that. It builds into Art. the next episode. It allows a good exactly. like, momentum into the next episode. Yeah. Right. And so like the, the, the model that Netflix was successful on is kind of hurting them yeah. because no one has time to fucking sit six hours at a time anymore <laughs> when we have shit to do and, and people want a chance to not be left behind. And that's kind of why I don't like MC or the MCU right now is because I haven't watched two shows and I'm like fucking yeah, hella man. far behind <laughs> and I'm like, I'm done. I'm fucked. <laughs> it's like a trade. If you miss your stop or if yeah, you're on the you're train and, and you, you fall asleep on BART, you're, you're, you're at fucking Pittsburgh Bay Point. You're gone. You're trying to stop the San Francisco. Now you're all of a sudden you're in fucking San Jose. You're like, I, I'm fucked. You're, no- <laughs> you're like, ah, shit. I'm at the yeah. end train. <laughs> now I was thinking about that too. Honestly, you know, personal perspective and personal preference. Like I like the binge aspect to it because mm. that is what made Netflix Netflix, like Stranger Things was my first show I binged on, like absolutely binged. And when that all came out, like I couldn't wait for the next season. Now, granted, it's like, yes, you it's like, do you want to elongate the drug and have a nice high to sustain you? Or do you want that quick hit cocaine hit? And then you just have to wait for another <laughs> season to come out. Um, clearly, I'm, I prefer on the cocaine side. But I do think, though, that it's purely uh strategic from a marketing perspective like it allows the news cycle to talk about it 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 allows the zeitgeist like you said to talk about it but you know i I just miss the charm of being able to binge because you you can sit and really dive into the show and you have to like wait yes there's pros and cons to it the pro is that you allow people to talk about it and momentum to getting into the next episode the other thing is though and i've had this experience is that if the show is like decent enough but not that much for me to like to captivate me. I'll forget about it. Like if the episode is coming out next week and something else better comes along and this goes into the streaming wars, you know, like you said, the limited amount of time that we have already, I will start watching that show. So there's tons of shows that I stopped watching because Last of Us came out because Last of Us was so good. When I started watching that, I was like, oh, fuck other shows. Like I only have enough time for like this one show. And so that's the the con of it too is yeah mm. it's like you really need loyal Netflix watchers to to watch that show and you're banking on the fact that friends will talk about it you know oh I'm watching this show and yeah we love those conversations what are you watching yada 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 but then those conversations always like oh you should definitely watch 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. I'm like, okay, there's no way I can watch all of that. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta watch Ant Man, but did you watch Black Panther? Too? I'm like, fuck, yeah. I did it. I'm, I'm, I'm fucked. Well, before well, you, you watch Black Panther, it's like really good episodes. I'm like, yeah. you gotta watch Loki. You gotta watch Falcon and the Winter Soldier. You gotta watch. Other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that that's just the state of streaming, and there's no right way to it. But I just think that Netflix is trying to control this beast that they've unleashed on the world. I think financially it's kind of hurting them too because they've changed the landscape. Mm. So we've kind of talked about the the strategy shift that Netflix has seems to be more broad and universal Kirkland versus the niche and specific. I'm just going to go quickly to you two, whether you're not bullish or bearish on this strategy. Do you like Netflix is kind of becoming this broad universal a hit maker or do you prefer like back in the old days like keep making the weird and strange and niche stuff i'm bullish i would say because on basically on, broad- on netflix's strategy you know i basically what you know what i'm what i'm saying is that netflix needs to continue staying like fresh and needs to continue staying like relevant and you're going to be able to do that by investing in established IPs and being able to continue like expanding upon them i think they basically milked all they can from stranger things their last up series oh it's you know? dying it's 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 all it's gone it's over right after that i mean yeah they have like a cultural relevance but then after that like you know so they need to continue Spin-offs. You know, figuring out on, you know, what's the next strategy? What are they going to continue doing? And, you know, you can kind of see that same thing happening with Disney, right? Uh, Bob Chapek, he basically got out, you know, as his short tenure, two years, you know, like basically he he finished his tenure as a CEO and they brought back Bob Iger, who basically... The one true Bob. The one true Bob. (laughs) There can only be one Bob. There right? can only be one Bob. He he was the one who purchased Disney. He was the one, uh, uh, not Disney. Uh, yes, yes, MCU. Sorry. Yeah, the MCU, uh, Lucasfilm, things like things like. Now that, he's trying right? to get like, rid of Hulu. Oh, he's thinking about getting rid of mm-hmm. Hulu. Right, exactly. And you know, Hulu actually lost a lot of their um, view, some of the viewership, and and things like that. So it was really interesting to kind of see like what what's happening in regards to like the landscape based off of like who the CEO is, what their strategy is and things like that. Right. So I'm, I'm bullish also. I think it's hard to capture people's attention span in the days. Now you say? a lot of Gen Zers, just kidding. it's hard to, for people to, Oh, <laughs> but yeah, that classic example. I was like, God damn, Gen Zer explains a thousand times. Um, but like, that's the thing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm bullish on the fact that what Netflix is trying to do is trying to be very broad and universal is because it's hard to be super niche and specific because a lot of people have very general interest. And the fact is you got to capture people's attention and a broad stroke of that. And so I think Netflix is banking on the fact that most people are uh, want attention deficit. They need to see what they're, they're doing the VC route, put a thousand things out there and see what hits and they commit to that. And I think they're yeah. banking on that strategy because of how audience consumes media now if you think about it net facebook is no longer I mean, let's be honest facebook is no longer relevant no. uh people are on tiktok people are all uh, on things that are like instantly gratifying be and, real and self-serving and be re- yeah actually my wife's on that i don't know how be real is going to survive i, I never i never understood it you gotta be real, real guys 
she's like, oh, it's time to be real. And I'm like, taking a shit. I'm like, what? <laughs> How more real can you be? It's true. With my, with my Kirkland brand toilet paper. <laughs> uh, but it's, but like, that's it, right? Like, I think Netflix un- is trying to understand and try to get ahead of what the, of what the new generational moneymaker, the Gen Zers, are, are focused on. And, and that is like uh, something that covers a wide swath of different people and then is able to capture their attention immediately and, and, and like dump the things that, are have, that have no relevancy. But then that means that like directors or whatever who, who are kind of starting off, they don't have that platform as you will, like they did in the past to really create something kind of unique and special. They, they, you know, you got to bank on stars that are going to bring in revenue. So that's kind of, I'm bullish on the fact that that's what they're going to do. I'm, I'm bearish on it. I really do miss the days where Netflix was a little bit more niche and specific with their movies. Like I posted on the article, like there's a A24 collaboration. Renee, we did uh, an episode about A24 that Steven Yun and Ali Wong are doing a, a 10, sh- 10 episode show about it. And I, and it's coming out in April and I had no idea. Like, I, I mean, I heard about it, but in my casual readings of entertainment, not on Netflix. So they're not heavily promoting it. And this is kind of my issue about it is that, you know, when you're going to be so, when you start off as like, oh, we're kind of raging against the machine. We're going, we're going, we're going to going against the grain. We're kind of be this new cultural you know, phenomenon. And then now years have passed. Now they're the market leader. Now they're the industry leader. And now they're slowly becoming the machine that they so forth were against. Of course, like money wise, financially wise, it's going to probably help them sustain and they got to make money, their business. I totally get that. But as a consumer, I'm going to miss those days. And I think it just thinks, I think of like the old adage, you either die a hero or long li- live long enough to see yourself be the villain. Uh, Last thing yeah, I want to touch up the darkness. <laughs> I was born in it. I was born in it. Molded by it. B- blinded by the light. <laughs> blinded. Uh, <laughs> um, last thing I'll talk about, I just want to go quickly, is the whole, uh, the, the latest Netflix news is that they're cracking down on password sharing. This is harken back to them being part of the machine is, they used to be so notoriously be about password sharing. In fact, I pulled up, I found the 2017 tweet that they put out. It was that they said, love is sharing passwords. So they were all for it. And now they're starting to crack down on password sharing. I'm curious what you guys think. Number one, do you guys password share? It's okay if you uh, you admit to it. But then uh, number two, oh, yeah. what do you think? <laughs> all of a sudden your Netflix account gets deactivated. <laughs> <laughs> I used to um, a long, long, long time ago, like oh, a decade ago, with my younger brother. But then he started sharing it with his ki- with his friends, mm. and you're all they're all like thirteen, fourteen year old people, you know, little little boys. Gets out of hand. Yeah, watching R rated stuff, and I can't, you know, I'm like, what? <laughs> what's what's why is this showing up on my queue? Uh, I don't do it anymore, but that's not the reason why. But you know, mostly it's just like I keep it within my just my family my household and i think that's that's fine by me i don't i don't really care but it's only because it's gonna hurt or help netflix well no ultimately what they're trying to do is make it so that they make more revenue right they saw record losses in accounts and they're saying what they're trying to go for is like hyper growth and being able to say like look okay we were able to actually recover x amount more accounts because of cracking down on this right and i just 
I, I mean, I understand why they're doing it, but I don't think, I ultimately think it's going to hurt the cultural relevance that they have versus, right? And it's always that balance. Like, do you, you know, want to um, help your shareholders or do you want to help your customers? Because they're, they're not one in the same all, every time, you know? Well, how does Nef- how do companies make money, right? In the initial stage, Netflix made money because it grew exponentially because they had a large amount of user base that they could squeeze that they didn't really have to squeeze a lot of money out of, right? And as more people got more familiar with Netflix, they didn't really care about password sharing because their valuation was based off of hyper growth of mark of like increased market size. But that has since stalled because everyone else Netflix it's been in the culture zeitgeist forever and everyone is on it, and so. Uh, because it's a public company and Wall Street only cares about like your latest re- latest report or how well you've done recently, they can't bank on the fact they can't grow the user base anymore because mm-hmm. that's kind of stalled. And so what they have to do at this point is like squeeze out as much as they can from the current user base. That's kind of the issue right now with dating apps. Everyone's kind of already on dating apps. And so how does Tinder try to make more money? They increase the amount of money you need to pay to get premium subscriptions, so on and so forth. And so in the past, you used to be able to swipe like unlimited times and they put a limit on there unless you pay money, so on and so forth. So like Netflix is running into that issue where they can't grow anymore. And so they're seeing stagnation of, of subscriber growth and class. In fact, they declined. And so Netflix to say like, oh, we can't grow as much. We have to squeeze as much to increase our revenue. They're, they're cracking down the password sharing. I don't like this move because I, I do agree with Renee. It, it will ultimately hurt their image to their client base. And on top of that, I had just so many logistical questions that I was trying to find out with Ray earlier where it's like, well, what if I go to Tahoe and I want to watch a Netflix show, but they don't have a Netflix account, so I have to use my account. Does that mean I can't log on because I'm registered here? And so I have all these logistical questions that I try to research on Wall Street Journal, The Verge, and so on and so forth, but there's nothing official that states how it works yet. And so... There's going to be a lot of issues because maybe sometimes people password shared not illegitimately, but legitimately. And so while that may only be like a small percentage, that type of logistical challenge is enough for me to just be like, I'm fuck, I, I'm, I'm so annoyed by Netflix right now because I want to watch what happens after physical 100. But if I'm at Tahoe at a cabin and I can't watch the next episode because of a fucking password sharing thing, fuck you, Netflix. Let's get back on HBO. <laughs> and that's the thing too, like... <laughs> People who don't want to pay will find ways to not to continue not paying. Oh yeah, absolutely. Piracy was an issue before. It always is an issue with all these streaming services. Mm-hmm. And when you try to like, okay, you introduce a low cost tier like the ads plan. Sure, that might capture some people who are like, oh, okay, I couldn't afford what is it like fifteen, sixteen dollars now. I couldn't afford fifteen, sixteen dollars before, but now I can kind of afford seven or eight dollars starting to watch some ads but even within that right it depends on the ad experience like if you're mm. <laughs> about to hit the climax of a movie and then ad <laughs> you're like shit he gets us <laughs> <laughs> yeah right so, at the climax right at our climax <laughs> right at the climax it's like blue balls in the plot but that's the thing like you you're you're going to push people who who feel like if I don't want to pay I will resort to piracy because there's always that avenue and uh, there's ways there's always going to be ways around it the internet is undefeated mm-hmm. so i think it's ultimately going to hurt them i think they already got a taste of it when they first came out with the announcement and they were kind of 
they weren't clear about it. I think they just said like, we're going to lock down on password sharing. And a lot of people were right. like, whoa, what the fuck? And a lot of the questions were the questions that you had, Alan. is like, well, what if I'm traveling somewhere or I'm in the same household, but I'm an extended stay somewhere? Like, mm-hmm. like how does that work? Is one person can only sign on it. One person can sign on at a time. And um, there's so many logistical things that they have to figure out. And I feel like calling the issue, bringing the issue to attention is is tricky i mean every single streaming platform doesn't want password sharing of course like that equals Mm -hmm. loss of revenue but even with like uh and i did a quick search of like the other streaming uh, platforms of how they kind of view password sharing is that hbo max they kind of rather you did not share but you know they're they're not like cracking cracking down on it like i share my password and vicky shares my sister shares her password hulu um they don't really care the only thing, that, the only restrictions that they have is live TV subscribers. You can't watch it if you have a live TV mm-hmm. subscription. You have to you kind of be in your local area network. Disney Plus is like you have four accounts anyways per plan, so they don't really care. And then Prime Video, I think, is kind of like similar They're, as long as it's within the same household. But that kind of falls within this, the Prime account. So right, exactly. And Prime Prime actually allows you to create um, like five other family members as well, and that mm-hmm. makes it so then you know, so it silos it. So I think maybe that's what the strategy Netflix needs to try to do is like, okay, I can establish here are the household members and then they can go ahead and log in from wherever. Um, Mm -hmm. Spotify does something similar as well, right? When it comes to establishing like households. Um, So, you know, we'll see. I mean, I I think they understand how families are, are robust and different and they come in different shapes and sizes, you know, um, I had actually, I didn't realize that I actually had a friend sharing my Spotify. I had like three different friends like, sharing it. Oh, and I was like, Renee. oh, okay. <laughs> you know, so it's just like, I, I, I think um, they have to be relevant and in, in to what the different families look mm-hmm. like and things like that. Because, you know, what we were talking about a little bit earlier in regards to subscribers, you know, Disney came out not only with their stuff, but then they also purchased basically Hulu and then also acquired ESPN, right? And, you know, um, so you have all those different offerings. Netflix really is just insular to themselves. And so, you know, Disney actually saw a huge drop in their subscribers when they last year lost exclusive rights of being able to showcase cricket matches in india right oh and no so, <laughs> i know it doesn't it's mean anything thing. to us but internationally huge, right that's how you when you're talking about growing your viewership for your sorry show, sorry cricket players right you're 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 um having to go into these <laughs> emerging markets right like india bangladesh china things like that right mm-hmm. that's that's we we just know that that's basically what it is and so netflix did a, a huge pretty pretty huge pivot to their um their Asia markets, right? Japan, Malaysia, Korea, yeah, Korea, right? And so I think those are some of the things that that really influence, also will influence the, not only you know password sharing in these newer markets, but also just in general, like you know subscribers basis. So mm-hmm. it'll be really interesting to see what they're planning on doing, how they're planning to roll it out. Moving on to our final topic, and we talked about this earlier. Alan mentioned we've talked about HBO. I want to talk a little bit about the DCEU, DC Extended Universe and Warner Brothers. 
James Gunn and Peter Saffron, the newly named chiefs of Warner Brothers Discovery, DC Studios. And if you know James Gunn, he came from Marvel. I think he was on Guardians. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so now he's moved over to DC and basically they are trying to play catch up at this point. They are trying to replicate but not duplicate what MCU, what the MCU is doing. And it's interesting to me. And the reason why, and I'm a big MCU fan, but the reason why this is, I think, something to talk about is kind of stemming from the Super Bowl commercial. I think they definitely won the Super Bowl. The Guardians trailer was was okay. I think I saw an Ant-Man trailer, but I mean, everyone knew that that was coming out. But the Flash trailer was what people were talking about. People were like, oh, shit. And they're kind of pulling a um, Spider-Man card by, by bringing back old Batman. I'm curious in terms of what you guys think, if it's too late for the DCEU, though. Well, so personally, I feel like it's really convoluted, just like having like this huge, you know, decade-long kind of strategy. I, I think it's really hard because at the time it was not done. I, I didn't even realize that those were phases, right? Oh, okay. Captain they were scrambling. They were scrambling. Oh, you talking about right? Marvel? Like, or I didn't DC? realize those were phases until someone went oh, ahead yeah, yeah, and yeah. marketing were like, oh, actually, it'd be cool if we said it like this, you know, to make it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't think it was like, I, I think it, it really convoluted. Because for an example, I did watch Quantumania yesterday. Um, and No spoilers. And the thing, <laughs> the thing is, first off, shout out Jonathan Majors. Woo! Major heartthrob. Loved him in Last Black Man for, for San Francisco. <laughs> we talked about that on A24. He's amazing. Um, He's but the thing is, to. Like, to Alan's point, if you don't watch Loki, if you don't watch this, you don't watch that, like, if you don't watch you're not these, gonna get it. these two TV shows and these three movies, the you're not going to get it. <laughs> And it's convoluted, you know? Yeah. Movies are no longer just like a bottle episodes. It actually has to be like played out in this thing. And I, yeah. I just feel like that has actually ruined the landscape of some movies uh, in that same sense. Like because of the fact that people won't feel invested in something unless it's an IP. And I just feel like cinema is coming back, right? And as much as Ray and I believe that streaming is great, you know, to Alan and, and Baldwin's point, you know, people love Movies going back the to the cinema, right? Yeah. Being there in person. I don't want to say it's never possible for DCEU, but it's tough. I, I feel like they've lost this generation and I think they're just going to wait till Gen Z generation alpha at this point or like diehard DC fans to kind of have this reset. I mean, they've had like two or three resets already. But yeah, when the MCU came out and it was making its run, DC was just scrambling. Warner Brothers was just scrambling like, uh, Justice League, let's just throw that out there. And so bad. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> and uh, again, and I've said this before in other pods, I think the only potential differentiator that DCEU has is that they should really lean on their R-rated content and just have full-on yes. blood and guts and nudity in their superhero movies because the superhero stuff can be quite violent. Black Adam was okay, and I get that he's he's kind of an anti-hero, but they didn't really lean on to the... I think it was R-rated, but it was like, okay. The Rock was great, but the whole storyline was so generic. And I think that's the problem with the, the DCEU, is that maybe it's not the connectedness of, this, of the movies, but it's the writing of it. It's so bland. And granted, and Marvel isn't like you know, thought provoking. Actually, some, some Marvel movies are pretty thought provoking. I think that's one of the reasons why it's great. Like Black Panther, uh, Civil War, like the, they, they do have 
trophies, if you will, to showcase like we do have good storytelling in this. And DCEU is still kind of just a comic book movie. If you like comic book heroes, you know, you're you're good either way. But Marvel can still be can still have the accolades of like we've had really good deep movies dressed up as like a superhero movie. So I think it's too late for them. I don't think it's too late for them. I think the DCEU still has a chance to 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 build up its catalog really well. Now, now, how are we defining is it too late? I, I don't think it's too late for them to create it because they're all doing it. Oh yeah. But yeah. is it too late for them to like reach the amount of like only people talk about this? Absolutely, because it's kind of already been done with the MCU. So I you're think, making my argument. Thank you. Well, I mean, <laughs> but it depends on how you're defining is it too late, right? So like, is it too late for DCEU to establish itself as something alternate to the MCU? It's not. Because honestly, like at this point, the MCU is fucking bloated. It's kind of like, it's kind of like there's just too many fucking IPs, too many fucking movies out there. Mm-hmm. And if like DCEU actually has like four or five solid starting movies, then yeah, then maybe they could be like, oh shit, like this is actually pretty damn good. And the thing is that like, and I know we're going to the second topic here, but that like ultimately DC has tier A characters that are much more recognizable, in my yeah. opinion, than the MCU A tier uh, list of superheroes. Because if you think about it, no one gave a fucking shit about Iron Man until MCU RDJ. actually started coming out. Uh, yeah, like Robert Downey Jr. made Iron Man the way he is. Like I watched the animated shows. I watched all the original, like the amazing Spider-Man, all these things. No one gave a fuck about Iron Man. The only time Iron Man and like these like good superheroes became relevant is because the MCU made them so powerful. But the DC, everyone knows Superman. Everyone fucking knows Batman, Wonder Woman, the flash only because Ezra is a kind of a fuck up and he's still back in the, eh. yeah. like they have like these staple characters in the DC that could really, and I think the, I think the villains in the DC are better too. The Joker is unanimously amazing. Mm-hmm. And so like, there's just so much more of these characters that have a lot more lore and a lot more you can flesh out of them than just uh, people from the MCU. MCU, benefits because they have a larger category of people so i think the dc still has its chance that's part of the issue i guess that dc has is that you knew what type of character study batman was you know this mm-hmm. anti-hero this dark knight you knew what kind of character study superman was this godlike person who has human flaws i think mm-hmm. marvel had the opportunity to explore the characters of captain america mm-hmm. black widow because it it, it like they were just comic book characters and they brought to us an audience like these these can be real people. And I think with DC, we already had an emotional tie with Batman and Superman and Christopher Nolan's Batman, right? I already had an emotional tie with that. The best. Ben Affleck reprised the role and then uh, what's is it? Robert, Robert Pattinson, Pattinson which I, standalone movies. That's good. really good. Good movies. But in terms of DCEU though, it doesn't have the same unified connectedness and the dynamics between the superheroes is something that MCU definitely does better. But I mean, you mentioned it with the MCU kind of being this massive thing now, this massive machine. I do sometimes wonder, like with any, like a legitimate universe, it, has it become so massive that it's becoming hard to navigate? Like you said, you miss a TV show, you're kind of lost and they- You're fucked. Now, I, th- I, think, I think MCU does a good job of if it's a movie and you're kind of on the main plot line, you don't necessarily need to watch all the side quests to understand all the references. It doesn't like, it's not, imper- it's not pertinent to the storyline, but it's like a, a nice little nod to like, 
oh, if you watch Loki, here's your here's your like Easter egg that you here's your treat that you paid attention to it. So as long as they keep that, they'll be fine. If they kind of lean too much of like, oh, you you have to watch WandaVision in order to understand the main storyline, mm-hmm. that's where they're going to lose people because they're ca- causing people to go back to square one. So as long as they keep that strategy, I don't know if they're going to do that with Ant-Man. Black Panther 2 was great. Um, obviously, I think anything that's tied to the Infinity Saga is going to have some kind of emotional tie for people. But I am concerned in terms mm-hmm. of like, phase five and all this stuff like all the other new avengers how that's going to turn out i'm still excited but it's also kind of like all up in the air it's kind of nebulous right now right i think what what people are waiting for is that new avengers movie because right Mm -hmm. now what they're doing is laying the groundwork and people are really impatient they're like just give Mm -hmm. it to me i want to see you know the double back-to-back avengers movie you know and it's like it's just not going to happen you know and i think that's probably what's causing people to feel like fatigue um in regards to having to watch all of this stuff because it's like which is interesting is like spider-man no way home does have a lot of heavy like wandavision implications and that you don't have to have watched it but you there's like a couple of uh, tip of the hat to a lot of things there right and i mean even all the way back to uh the defenders or you know what is a daredevil right so like Mm. which is like before right the this actual marvel kind of take over and you know so it's really interesting to kind of see what in regards to the dceu you you have like a joker 2 that's going to be coming out they're actually just a, mm-hmm. a, a preview with uh with lady gaga as harley quinn and you know like i think one of the things that makes it captivating is that you're looking at good performances by really good yes, actors yeah. and directed really well right and because you have directors uh from like you know martin scorsese uh fred francis coppola like all these other directors who are like marvel isn't cinema because you don't you're not learning something from cinema right and it's like okay great you know marvel has kind of ruined movies in that same way but also at the same time if we're looking at dceu as more of a elevated more of a adult then i think that's where their niche, where they can step in versus MCU, MCU is very like the household name, that brand that everyone. Yeah. So wait, so then is DCEU Kirkland? <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I think MCU is kind of Kirkland right now because it, unless the DCU leans in on like the R-rated stuff, which I do support. Then uh, Blood, you know, guts, Because like, cursing. come on, Superman punching a yeah. mortal, that man should Shattered. be like, he should explode, shatter. <laughs> yeah. 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 And more killing, disintegrate, boobs, dicks, asses, just all of that. I just want to see all of that. Yeah. Full on Game of Thrones. There you go. <laughs> I, so I think the MCU has lost its, has lost its steam since the Infinity Saga because mm-hmm. what Renee said, they laid out the thing and, and like, how do you top Endgame? How do you top Infinity War? How do you, how do you top that? Right. And so like people are impatient. Oh, they will. Don't worry. I don't know. They might, they might not, but like right now, like Marvel is pulling from some of its characters that aren't as widely known as Captain America, as as Thor, as Iron Man. Because like it's established in the MCU that Tony Stark is dead. He does. Is he though? So like you can't. I mean, super. Ah, are they gonna pull on like a? But yeah, it's just like at that point, it's like what what what's the draw? And so I, I know a lot of people like want the next. Oh, what is the what does the next phase mm-hmm. look like? And so it has to be fundamentally different than like heralding towards another endgame type of like 
movie-esque. I think the next phase for MCU has to be focused on the ability to connect through its vast catalog of shows, movies, and how they interweave with the story because they can't just do Endgame-esque type of movie again and expect the same number of people to show up. It's kind of been done already. So what is the next phase? And I think it's the interconnectedness of the story. So that's that's where I stand on it. Okay, well... If you listen to us at this point, send us a message, send us an email, say hello, or give us your takes. Realasianpod at Gmail. We're also Podcast on Instagram. Just just say hello to us. Let us know your thoughts. Yeah, I know that we've changed the format a little bit in terms of the topics, but I think I wanted us to give I wanted to give us an opportunity to show that we can talk a bunch of other things other than just Asian American content, which we still watch and still consume every now and then, but. I, I like paying attention to what the zeitgeist or what the, the Twitter sphere is talking about, even though I'm not on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that's going to be the episode for Real Asian Podcasts. Alan, Renee, thank you so much for joining in. Peace out, y'all. Peace. Peace. <laughs>